It's Wednesday, December the 9th, 2015, and this is the One More Verse podcast. Hey everybody, my name is John Nix, and on behalf of Vertical Purpose Ministries, I want to welcome you to the podcast. I'm so pleased to have you join me today as I discuss 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 1 through 27. Things have been going so well for David. God has expanded his territory. He's unified the country. David had it in his heart to build a house for the ark of God. And although God would not let him do that, he did promise to leave someone on his throne forever and establish an eternal kingdom. And so it seems like this guy, David, the man after God's own heart, is just going to continue to rule in righteousness and everything is going to be fine. The problem is that's not the story of scripture. The story of scripture is not about perfect people who do everything right and God just continues to bless them because they did the right things. The story of scripture is broken and sinful people God chooses to use in spite of themselves so that God's glory may be on display. And while David's army may have been away in our reading today fighting successfully on some foreign soil, David was losing a battle with temptation at home. The Bible tells us that it's the time when kings normally go off to battle, but David sent his commander, Joab, and he sent them, and they were absolutely tearing up the Ammonites. But David just remained in Jerusalem. And so one afternoon, he gets up from his couch, perhaps after a nap, and he begins to walk around on the roof. While he is walking around on the roof, his house would have been elevated above the others. He saw from his roof a beautiful woman bathing, perhaps in the courtyard of a house at a lower elevation. And for whatever reason, as David is walking around, he didn't set out to sin. This was not some sort of willful disobedience in his heart where he decided that he was going to just go and fall into a pattern of disobedience. But he just woke up and was walking around and he happened to see a beautiful woman bathing. Now, in and of itself, you would think, okay, what do I do in this situation? We see how sin gives birth uh, even to death. And so in this moment, as he sees this beautiful woman bathing, he doesn't just realize, oh, this is not something that I should be looking at and turn his head. He doesn't seem that he blushes or that he moves away from that area where he's walking around. Instead, he lingers. He, he, he lets his eyes begin to drink in her beauty and his sensuality begins to work on his heart and his mind. Undeterred by what he has seen, he, he stays and he actually brings some others out to inquire. Perhaps they came out and he just wanted to know about the address. Perhaps it was someone else who went and observed this woman bathing. For whatever reason, he inquires about this woman. So it wasn't the first look. It wasn't the second look. It wasn't just the inquiry. But he finds out that this is a wife of one of his officers. One Uriah the Hittite, a, a faithful officer. And though he is David's friend, although he is united with David in purpose and serving him, David is completely undeterred by Bathsheba's marital status. He sends messengers and he summons this woman. We don't have a whole lot of the sordid details, but we know enough to know what happened. David slept with Bathsheba and he sinned. 
And Bathsheba went to her home and you see the hypocrisy of her going back to her home. And uh, as she goes down there, she has been going through all of this ritual cleansing and purifying. Uh, But as she goes back to her house, the days begin to pass and it's not very long until Bathsheba discovers that she's pregnant. She promptly notifies David, and you can imagine all of the worry and the concern. And so David has to figure out what he is to do. And so he begins to um, put a plan together. And the first part of his plan is that he just sends word to Joab, and he says, send back Uriah the Hittite. And so uh, Uriah comes home away from the battle. And David begins to just casually interview him. He asks him uh, how Joab was doing, how the people were faring, how the war was going. You know, it seems like small talk and everything's fine. And so David says to him, listen, go down to your house and, 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 and wash your feet. And so Uriah leaves the king's house. And David is thinking that a man who has been away from his home for a long time, having a bit of R&R and release from battle, would go down to his home and perhaps he and his wife would enjoy the privilege of marriage and they would just be able to escape the fact that this child that Bathsheba is pregnant with was from David. But instead, Uriah did not go down to his house. Now, when David finds out that he didn't go down to his house, he brings him back and, and, he, and he questions him. He wants to know, have you not come from a journey? Why, why didn't you go home? And you hear Uriah in this brilliant answer in thinking of others. And he says, all of the men are are there and they're dwelling in booths and, and they're fighting and they're campaigning in this place. Am I just going to go to my house and take my ease and enjoy myself? He says, as the Lord, as you live and as your soul lives, I'm not going to do this thing. So David invites him to stay for a couple of more days, and at a royal feast, David's next level to this plan begins to unfold, and David literally has him at the feast, and David gets him drunk. Now, he's thinking when he gets drunk, he'll just, you know, sort of instinctively, he'll go down to his house, and nature will take its course, and this will be you know, over. We'll just say that on your brief visit home from the battlefield, this is when it happened in a moment of passion. But instead, once again, Uriah does not go down to his house. Pressed to the edge of desperation, not sure what to do, knowing that he would lose face, knowing that he had sinned. When we get to desperate places, sometimes we can just become so irrational that we will let our minds entertain things that normally would be unthinkable. Whether it's to guard our pride, whether it's just for fear, we don't know the reasons, but David wrote a letter to Joab and he sent it by the hand of his friend. And what his friend didn't realize is that he was carrying his own death warrant. He gave instructions to Joab to put Uriah at the very front and while he was at the battlefront, um, when he was there, when the battle began to rage and it got to be most fierce, then they would draw back just a little bit so that he might be struck down and die. Can you imagine such a twisted plot? David wasn't about to kill him, and perhaps it seemed a little more distant for him to let someone else do the killing for him, but he is manipulating this entire thing. He is making Joab an accomplice. And here's Uriah 
having come home and demonstrated a faithfulness to his own men and to his own cause that is greater than the king's, carrying his death warrant. And so, just as prescribed, Joab did what he was instructed to do. And Uriah died. And so, Joab sent to tell David all the news about the fighting. And he told this messenger when he came back, now listen, when you have finished telling him all the news about this fighting, if David gets angry, if he says to you, why did you go so near to the city to fight? And did you not know that people would shoot, these archers would shoot from the wall? And who killed all these people? And why would you go and put this? And the reality of things is, Joab says, listen, you make sure that you put just as an addendum on the end of your story that he knows that Uriah the Hittite is dead. And so he gave all the details. And when David got to this place, the messenger tells him, and in such a cold and callous manner, David says, just tell Joab, do not let this matter displease you. The sword devours now one and another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it. How callous, how cowardly, how insensitive can you imagine how seared his conscience must be at this point? He is so worried about his own self-preservation that the loss of this precious life he was just willing to overlook. And then we have this almost seems like a charade when the wife of Uriah heard that her husband was dead. She lamented and as soon as the mourning was over, David immediately brings her to his house and she became his wife. But we have this thing that happens at the very end of our reading today. This thing that David had done displeased the Lord. This evil that he had committed displeased the Lord. It's important for us to remember that sometimes when we give in to our desires and we find ourselves in sin, we want to rationalize it. We want to justify it. We want to cover it up. We find our hearts and our minds entertaining thoughts that are not right and proper for followers of Jesus. And in this moment, David does something. This man after God's own heart, this king that God had chosen, he demonstrates for us just how absolutely dark and sordid the heart can be. The Bible tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked and no man can know it. And this is a perfect example. Having wanted to satisfy his own selfish desires, walking over his friends and those who have served him well, being willing to take the life of someone and then to just overlook it and then just to take and move in and take this woman to be his own. Such we would think is unthinkable. But this is the nature of sin. It's destructive. It destroys. It destroys relationships. It destroys lives. And that's why God has given us specific instructions on how we are to live. Thanks for listening to the One More Verse podcast. For more information about Vertical Purpose or One More Verse, visit John Nick's Org. I'd love to hear from you, so find me on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram using the handle TheJohnNix. And don't forget to download the Vertical Purpose app for additional resources. Thanks again, and join me tomorrow for the One More Verse podcast.